0: I just told Annabelle Crab backstage to stand up again, but I she said, looked like. I a, said
1: because I was a bit, I wasn't anxious, but I was just like, oh, "Do I look all right? Like, how do I look? Do I look
0: all right?" And, and I first, and... firstly, I said, "You look absolutely beautiful." That's not she true, does. actually. Um, and then I, no, I said, "I said you look great," but I backed it up by saying, "You look like a cross between Grace Sullivan and John English." <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Look,
1: we've had a day of saying cruel things to each other, I think oh. it's fair to say, but I'm still winning, I think, <laughs> even <laughs> though, like, the spots, who wore it better, is still an issue, <laughs> to be like, what is the thing with the spots? Because the spots are back a bit at the moment, aren't they? And the spots yeah. are always a thing that you look back and you think, why did anyone think that was a good idea? And I,
0: I love spots. I think they're very pretty and, you know,
1: feminine uh-huh. and lovely,
0: hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, So this morning. But you guys are all glad you
1: forked out your money for that insight. Uh, Wow, it's absolutely snap it away already, isn't it? (laughs) That's what they come for. (laughs) It's this kind of high end back and forth. so this morning you said something massively cruel to me when I met you at the airport, but I actually can't remember what it is already because I'm so occupied by my subsequent
0: triumph that I've forgotten. <laughs> Look, it was it was early in the morning, and you obviously It was 10am, people. So yeah, <laughs> <one> t- <laughs> clearly not done her hair before leaving the house, okay, and no, I accused that's true. Her, I accused her of looking like Brian May from Queen. <laughs> I was looking a little electric. But things went rapidly downhill for me from there. Because uh, I discovered
1: that I had been upgraded (laughs) to a business class, which I just assumed was maybe a service that they were handing out to ABC Fat Cats that happened to be flying that day. It was like, you know, yesterday was Harmony Day, today is ABC Fat Cats Fly for Free Day. I don't know. I'm like, hey, what about this? And uh, sales is like, oh, I haven't been upgraded. <laughs> but I've never been upgraded before, so this is like quite a, a leap. You know? She wasn't
0: at all smug.
1: <laughs> Not at all. I was totally bearable about the whole thing. Uh, so then, of course, this is a uh, Sydney to uh, Hobart flight, so it was delayed about eight times. Um, and every time I'm just like, but I'm in business. Can I get on? Because I'm in, I'm in business, so maybe there's different rules for me. (laughs) Anyway, we board the plane and to my rich delight, I discover that not only am I in row two,
0: but sales is in row. What row? I I think it was row 28, but whatever row it was is the one that you can't even put the seat back because you're back onto the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) She sent me a picture of herself at the back of the plane and it actually just says lavatory above her head.
1: God, it's, it's it terrible to take pleasure in the distress of others, but
0: it was a great moment. It was. And look, you know, because we're so monstrous, of course, We, even though I thought, oh, God, are you joking, um, I thought this is such a good story for the show tonight. <laughs> That's right. In I fact, was glad it happened. I just wished it was the other way around.
1: Uh, she was thinking of, like, trying to contact um, Alan Joyce and trying <laughs> to get him to send a message of support. <laughs> it's was just like... Unlikely to happen, I think. Trim your sails, mate.
0: Um, Hey, it's great to be in Hobart. It certainly is. I don't think any city uh, that follows the podcast has been more in our grill than Hobart (laughs) about coming. Where are you right now? How far are you from Hobart? Right now! (laughs) How quickly could you get here? Every time we post, we're doing a show in Orange. What about Hobart?
1: But that's a fair question because pound for pound, like Hobart is a more pleasant city to visit than all of the above-named <laughs> venues. So, like, it's just sort of like, oh, why would I come here to visit your soft light and beautiful architecture and relaxed <laughs> way of life and delicious cheeses? And we nearly had a scallop pie today, but we didn't because just couldn't Should we quite we? do it. Should we? Okay. Mm. All right. There was a place we walked past that was guaranteeing six scallops in every pie, and I felt that <laughs> seemed a bit prescriptive. Like, I would like that. I would like it to be like a chocolate
0: wheel effect, like maybe five scallops today, seven tomorrow. But the way my day was rolling, I would have got like one scallop and you would have got, I've got 18 scallops. <laughs> That's true. That's because I'm bivalve curious. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> you can have that for free, people. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Okay, I have been holding on to something that I have been so dying to talk to you about and I've been holding on to it for the show, Um, so can I just start? You certainly can
1: because I have no idea what this is going to be, but sales has been all mysterious for about a week and a half about, there's something I can't say too much and blah, 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 blah. so there's something she's been doing that I don't know about, apparently it's amazing, so let's all hear it.
0: Um, Wow, with that build up. No, Really? (laughs) God. Sucked the wind out of your spinnaker there, didn't I? <laughs> I feel like the only thing that could sort of work with that build-up is to go <laughs> Annabelle Crab. <laughs> no, it's a podcast that I listen to. Um, that... Okay. That... <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. It will be less awkward to explain to my family, so let's go with that. <laughs> Um Hot Callum recommended it to me ages ago and I've only just got around to listening Woo! to it. sorry. Hot Callum <laughs> reference. Um it is called Heavyweight. Uh and Callum just said to me, Just listen to episode two, it's called Gregor, uh, which I I did. And it was one of those podcasts that started and I'm thinking, Yeah. Not really, not really sure why like Callum was so sort of into this. It's basically uh, a guy who's 48 named Gregor. Heavyweight seems to be about taking people back to moments in their past. If, Say, for example, if they've had a falling out with a family member or there's something in their past that's caused them some grief... Um, it 's the guy who hosts it sort of takes them back and tries to make amends and see if they can find a way to move forward. Oh, so it's sort of like losing your baggage. It's like heavy weights is a reference Heavy weights is like the oh, weight you're carrying, oh, okay. That's the, That's you know, the load me. that you're carrying. So um, Gregor is this guy in his sort of late 40s, he's 48. He's just a bit disillusioned with how his life's turned out. And he talks about how... He felt like for a lot of your life, you feel like, I wonder how my life's going to turn out. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder, you know, am I going to get famous? Am I going to, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And he says, by the time you hit 48, you realise, oh, this is how it turned out. Um, and he felt I'm 46 so I've had none of that yet (laughs) (laughs) and he seems he's quite a sort of he's one of those people his personality type is a bit familiar to me he's sort of gloomy and a bit of a drag but he's also quite funny which is I think why he's kept his friends around anyway he also had a bit of weight because he felt like he looked at his friends lives and he felt like oh everyone seems more successful than me that they've got good jobs and interesting jobs that they like and I'm sort of just doing nothing and what I'm doing is boring and so he just generally felt very glum. Um, and he'd had a few moments where he'd found it hard to let go of things that had happened or passed him by and there was one moment in particular. Um, In the 1990s he'd got his hands on a rare um, CD box collection which was um, a treasure trove of what are called field recordings which were made by a folk music collector called Alan Lomax and Alan Lomax in the 50s and 60s had gone through the sort of deep south of America, and recorded um, what are called field hollers or field recordings, um, which I'll give you a listen to one, and it'll probably listening to it will help you understand better than me Un- saying unprecedented actually. degree of production quality. Have you actually Absolutely. prepared some audio? Have a listen to um, this one. This is Vera Hall. It was recorded sitting at her kitchen table in Arkansas in 1959. She had been taught to it taught it by her grandfather, who'd been a slave. O Lord, my trouble so hard. Oh, Lord, my trouble so
1: hard. Don't nobody know my trouble with God.
0: Don't nobody know my So it's it's a type of vocal music sung by African and then African-American workers, slave workers to accompany their work. And it's sung solo. Sometimes there's an echo by other workers and those sort of songs are mostly associated with cotton plantations. Anyway, Gregor had got his hands on this collection of recordings by Alan Lomax and he absolutely loved them. He had this friend of his who was a sort of DJ and a musician, who was a bit of a down-and-out guy who also lived in Brooklyn where Gregor lived. They were having dinner one night and Gregor said, um, oh, man, this CD box collection of field recordings, it is unbelievable. I just find it so moving. You should borrow it. You should listen to it. So he shared it um, with a friend of his and said, here, I'll lend them to you. So he lent them to his friend whose name was Richard Hall. You might know him more by his stage name, which is Moby. He's lent this box set of CDs to Moby and Moby has sampled the field recordings and they've gone on to become one of the most successful albums of the 90s, Play. If you you had a record or CD collection in the 1990s, you probably owned Moby's Play. It was one of the most successful albums of the 90s. It dominated the worldwide charts for two years. It's one of the most commercially licensed albums of all time. Some of these songs are used on... Everything you can imagine, car ads, um, uh, department stores. So the song we walked into tonight, Honey, is one of the most um, used of the songs on the album Play. Um, let's hear um, Honey again, just so you can listen out. for my honey follow. come back. Sometime I'm on a rap bad like Sometime I get a hop in my back. Sometime I'm going over here. Sometime. You can hear the field holler in that. Let me play you as well the the track I played you earlier of Vera Hall singing at her kitchen table. Um, This is how Moby um, used it in a song called Natural Blues. Very famous, probably heard. Don't
1: know my trouble for God. Don't know my
0: trouble for God. So Play is to date the biggest selling electronica record of all time. Um, it made Moby a worldwide star. It sold more than twelve million copies. Um, until 2014, Moby lived in a castle on the proceeds of that album. Um, Gregor, um, over the years, had been in touch with Moby even before play became huge and certainly afterwards to say, hey, mate, you know that box collection of CDs I lent you? Do you reckon I could have them back? (gasps) Still got them? And Moby ghosted him. He didn't get them back. And Gregor had not been able to let go of this, that he Um, lent... Understandably, I think. (laughs) ...that he lent Moby this material that Moby, you know, full credit to you, turned into this mega, mega, mega hit... And then didn't return the CDs and ghosted him. And so Gregor, uh, when he's talking to the guy who hosts the podcast, says, um, I can't let go of this and I, I want the CD set back. And the guy's like, well, is it because you want money or recognition? He's like, I just want the CD collection back and maybe I want Moby to go, thanks very much for <laughs> doing that for me. And maybe... A- tiny castle. So, it's just like a smallish <laughs> castlelet. Just an anti-room funny... on Moby's castle. Um, so they go... My heart is actually beating at yeah, an you know, elevated level. Now you know why I've been so dying to I tell know. You it's
1: so annoying when you're
0: right, but so I they am interested. they go to find Moby um, oh, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you what happens. All I'll say is that no...
1: No, but what she's doing is planting a hook into oh, your like roof of your mouth to make you probably leave the theatre right now, or and go and
0: just. They <laughs> They've got do, one pair of headphones backstage if you want to like just <laughs> one earbud in and just see what happens. They do. Uh, make an appointment and Moby agrees to see them. They haven't been exactly up front about what they're going to ask for. Right. And Journalist. they, they get in there and all I'm gonna say is there is a brilliant description of Moby when they've walked in and they say they see Moby and he's standing at the top of a gigantic indoor staircase <laughs> looking like Norma Desmond in a grey hoodie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh Look my it up. god.
0: Heavyweight episode two
1: Gregor. Okay. I think we shouldn't bother with the rest of this
0: thing now. <laughs> Let's all I... just go and listen to it. No, I, and Crab and I, we were talking about it because I, I, I deliberately hadn't told Crab anything about that because I wanted to see her face when I did the reveal that it was Moby, which is actually revealed very early in the podcast. And we were talking about, backstage about spoilers. Yeah, when you, when you tell
1: people about something that great you've seen – where the great thing is the sort of yeah. – this reveal. And you obviously felt confident enough to ruin it for everybody in this room. So that's, <laughs> no, that's <'cause> you.
0: I, <laughs> I however <laughs> – Well, I said to Crab, I feel comfortable revealing the Moby thing because it, it's a fairly early reveal and the feeling that I had when it was re- revealed, I was sort of listening to the podcast with a bit of interest and then when he's gone and my friend's name was Moby, I've gone – because when they played – I don't know if anyone else here did, but when they played the, the raw field holler, I was like, oh, that's familiar. I couldn't place that it was a Moby song. I was like, oh, I've heard that before. Um, and then, of course, once they revealed it was Moby, I was like, oh, my God. But then, of course, you're completely hooked in because you want to see what happens and does he get the CDs back and what does Moby say about this and all of the rest of it. So I felt like um, that the the interesting thing is what happens after they make the appointment to see Moby, not necessarily. As interesting as it is, the spoiler, I think, would be to tell you what happens after he goes to see Moby.
1: Okay. I you, think – yeah, no, I accept, yeah. I accept your approach and analysis. Good. I do. Um, but I was thinking about it actually weirdly enough only about a week ago because I flew to Perth, which is, apart from coming to Hobart, uh, the most pleasurable thing ever because you get to turn your phone off for four and a half hours. There's four and a half hours where no bastard can ring you up and get you to try and do something or like whatever you just say. I'm sorry. I'm in the air. And if anybody ever really seriously – gives mobile phone coverage on planes, I'm going to hunt down that person. I just – that I don't want that ever to happen. But I was just sort of in this beautiful position where I had done all my prep for the thing that I was going to Perth to do, so I had four and a half hours to just noodle around, using your special verb, and watch things. So I watched this documentary, uh, which I'd never heard of, called Delt. And it's a documentary about a magician – ...who does amazing card tricks. He calls himself a card mechanic. Oh. And he's apparently the most famous card mechanic in the world. i had still never heard of him. Um... And I just sort of started watching it because I thought, well, you know, um, I'll you know, see if I learn anything about card tricks or whatever. People who are incredibly good at one really narrow thing are often absolutely fascinating psychologically. And I thought, well, they're not going to have made a one-and-a-half-hour-long documentary about someone who's totally boring. And um, so I thought, all right. Anyway, so it opens and you see him do these amazing stuff with cards and you think, actually, yeah, you're clearly a mad genius. And then at about the five-minute mark, you find out about something that happened to him with, when he was a kid, which is the most incredible revelation. And I'm
0: not going to say what it was. <laughs> because... Is, it in, is that the, the reveal of the thing or...? Yeah, and then...
1: What is, it early, you, is it an
0: early reveal in that?
1: Yeah, it's right. like about five minutes in right. and I don't want to say because the sheer joy and delight of seeing of, of the surprise was this amazing moment and the rest of the film is about, you know, what he does but it's also about how over the course of his life and his family's life they've dealt with this thing and now I'm feeling like I'm being a jerk by not saying, like, I mean, <laughs> should we do a vote or something? Because, like, uh, it's, it's – I felt
0: like I was in this f- plane and I just went, oh, what? Is it a reveal and, that you could share sort of in a short sentence? No, because I'm, could... I'm getting to a point – no, but is it, is it a short reveal or is it long? <laughs> It's a really short reveal. Okay, because we could we could ask people because my concern is if you reveal it, if for people who don't want to hear it, they don't have any option; they're going to have to hear it. But if it's just like three words or something, they can just maybe it's put their amazing. fingers in their ears and can hum. Can we get the house lights up? Can we get the house lights up? Because
1: like I went home and I said to Jeremy, my beloved other half, I watched this thing. It's about a card, you know, about this magician and blah blah blah, and um, he is... He was like, cooking and doing this. And I'm like, you're not listening, are you at all? And he's like, no, no, no. He was like, blah, 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 what? And I said, there's this amazing moment where you find out this thing and it's incredible. He's like, "Eh, And it was one of those things where I thought, I could ask you about this conversation two minutes from now and you'd have no recollection of it. So then I found it and made him watch it. Well, he found it um, because I'm no good at finding things. And I'm like just watch the first five minutes, and then at the five-minute mark when the reveal comes, he's like, Jesus! And then we watch the whole thing again. Wow. Second time I'd seen it in 72 hours. So can we see so a, this sh- like a show this of guy, hands? He, he practices cards 16 hours a day. He's now in his 60s. He has,
0: I mean, he can... Oh, I think I, think I just worked out what this reveal is. Um, like amazing... Do, put a, do, give us a show of hands if you want to know what the secret is. Okay. Oh, everyone wants okay. to know. If
1: you, so, <laughs> the beginning of the film, he's, doing, he's performing in Vegas. He's like the most famous, apparently, card magician in the world. My range of card magicians of whom I've heard is not wide, so I accept that that's true. Okay, hold your fingers in your ears. If you are going to go and watch this film, Delt, and um, we will blank this on the podcast... Yeah the reveal, and then you can go to a little locked box that uh, Kathy Beale will organise. <laughs> okay. In fact, I'll just mime it. I'll mime it. So close your eyes. Okay. So the big thing that you find out about this guy who can do these incredible card tricks is... Can I guess it? ..that he...
0: <laughs> can I guess? Yeah, I knew that was what it was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying Amazing. To... I'm just trying to Google the name of a book and I can't even ask because asking um, will give away the sort of twist in the book. Um, oh, it's on. getting very complicated now. I think it's now. called We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves. Oh, yeah. I just, I just okay. read that. Now, yeah. um, don't, I just don't say anything that. about the twist, twist, right? So... Um, <laughs> Did
1: I already give something away? No, I feel really paranoid. I, I broke was... the only rule I had for myself tonight, which is to not give that away.
0: I was walking down the street yesterday uh, past a Sydney bookstore called Glee Books and I looked at the table out the front as I do and they had we were all completely beside ourselves um, on sale and I flipped it over, I don't know why, um, but was reading the blurb on the back even though I have read that book and it said, you know, X, Y, Z is this family and it's mum and dad and they've got three kids, A, B and C and C is blah, blah, blah. The central reveal... I could not I, – I just was absolutely astonished that you would put it on the blurb because I remember when I read that book and when I got to the reveal, I went, hang on. I, I went read back to the start looking yeah. for the clues like, yeah. have I – what? Um, I could not believe you would put it on the blurb.
1: Who would do that? Some monster. I assume it's a late <sighs> edition by some, you know – Some absolute monster. Cash-in merchant. Anyway. Um, um – can I say something that I've been watching obsessively um, in the last couple of weeks? Yes. Um, I won't – I mean, I won't go on for an hour about this. That'd but, be great. Um, I don't think you've watched any of it. Yeah. But it's a new soap opera yeah. on the ABC uh, called The Heights. Has anyone else been watching that? i It's so good. It's so good. And, like, I know – From our discussions about Friday Night Lights that – and I know that, you know, you're a trash bag who's generally just in search of a a great soap. Look at that look. Wow. Anyway, I mean, I I love a Carry on, John English. Yes. (laughs) This is your story. Um, So, I kind of started watching it, not knowing really much about it, and I'm just – absolutely along for the ride. So, like, it's actually filmed in Perth, although it's sort of set a bit anywhere. And The Heights is this sort of, like, um, project sort of apartment, public housing building, and all these different people live there and it's about their intersecting lives. And straight away at the beginning there's this drama because a baby is found in the garden and whose baby is it? And it's it's the – well, I won't say whose it is because of my horrible recent record and giving away spoilers, but, like (laughs) – The people who run the pub are closely involved. Um, But anyway, the thing about it that I love, like, it's it's got, you know, it's got some soapy favourites. It's got Marcus Graham in it. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, wheels. Still got a bit of a rusty leg. But but the great thing about it is um, that it's got this fabulous cast and it's funny. It's really well written.
0: And it just seems... Full of life and full of authenticity. Like, so when you say it's a soap, is it like? Are you talking home in a way? Are you talking oh, sea change? Not... Or are you talking? No, like... it's it's a
1: sort of like a. It's more gritty, I guess. It's more like absolute inner city um, kind of dramas. Um, so the characters are fabulous. Shari Sebens is in it, and I just, she's Marcus Graham's ex in the show, and they've got um, a son together who kind of like. Uh, pings back and forth between their households. I, like, I love Shari Sevens. Like, there is something about that woman. She's Even though a- she beat you out for a Logie? She did. <laughs> she did. She beat me out for best new talent. <laughs> Logie's 2013. Poss- I don't know, possibly was- because she was actually new talent. <laughs> and I was like, I'm 41, guys. I'm a little craggy. But um that was that ter- like I mean I have only been to one logies and that was it and that was and I had Kate who was like newborn oh, yeah. and so I was breastfeeding this baby and like running up and down the elevators crying from the logies to where the oh. room that Jeremy was holding this crying baby in and like that he loved that obviously that was great fun and uh, I kept like running up and down to feed the baby and settle things and interspersed with not winning logies and um and when I went upstairs, Jeremy was watching The Hobbit on in house video. Oh. Like, he wasn't, even, wasn't watching even watching the awards. The I'm like, You're not even watching me lose! <laughs> a Logie! He's like, I haven't seen The Hobbit. This seemed like a good opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. But she is the greatest. I just love her. She's like, she's warm, she's like talented. I love her face. I've got a real lady crush on that woman and I would watch anything that she's in and she's great in this, right? And so she's kind of like no-nonsense, funny. The scripting, as I said, is really great. But one of the other characters that I absolutely love is this like, very young kind of reasonable newcomer, I think, actress called um, Bridie McKinn. And she um, plays the daughter of Ros Hammond, who's also in it, as a, um emergency room doctor. I know you do. That's why I put it in, just to keep your interest alive. And um, and so the baby that gets discovered gets taken to the hospital and Ros Hammond is, like, looking after it. And her daughter, Sabine, is this kind of, like, great, like, sasspot character. And about, I don't know, like, maybe it's in the first step or maybe the second step, I can't remember, but it's sort of, she's starting a new high school and she has cerebral palsy. But you don't really... It's never really addressed as an issue and I love that she's just this great actress and she's not a special serious plot line about the difficulties of having cerebral palsy. She's just like this awesome character and I really am loving... Almost every element about this show, and oh. it's like all 16 apps are on iView. Nobody at the ABC has said you better mention that show when you remember. I just sort of stumbled across it, and I watched one app, and now now I'm
0: sneaking away to watch it on iView because oh. it's so good. Yeah. All right, I'll have to get into it. You know, how you said before that I'm just a massive trash head. I try and say that about
1: once a week to anyone who will listen with a microphone, like, but uh, I, I noticed like, you
0: like you—you kind of smarted a bit when but I would said you, that. Would you like to know the book I'm currently reading? Oh, God.
1: Oh, let me guess. Is it like it's Francis Bri- Fukuyama?
0: I am actually about oh, to read that.
1: No, <laughs> like it's,
0: it's Bride's Head Revisited by Evelyn Moore. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Thanks, Yeah. <laughs> Now, it is actually, when I say reading, I'm not actually reading it. Uh, it's the first audio book I've ever listened to. And Ooh. I did this, I think I mentioned on the podcast, I was going to give an audiobook a stab, um, because with my book, they said to me, oh, can you read the audio version? And I sort of felt like, oh, really? Like, who listens to audiobooks? And I discovered tons of people listen to audio books. Um, How did you
1: and... find that process of recording yours? Because I did the wife drought as well and by the end of it i just really hated myself for writing such long sentences yeah. I'm like I curse you
0: uh, i i found uh, with all of my books that by the point at which you've with s- all my books with- i found with all I've my books i got 3 i'm constantly being
1: I've got uh, 3 oh,
0: well how many audio books
1: have you done one.
0: <laughs> no, but what I was okay. going to say was I've found with all of them... Call when, you're at the when end, you've got a statistically significant sample. When, you, when you're at the end of the <laughs> writing process, I am utterly done sure. with the material. Yeah. I'm, I am over it. And so to have to then sit there and read it aloud was hard work. And also because of the nature of the contents of my book, it was very hard work. But um, when I, so I was sort of surprised how many people would say to me they'd heard the audio version. Then uh, when I was on holidays over Christmas, my friend had, uh, I think I said this on the podcast, BBC Four on it, was Michael Caine reading his own memoir. And I was just riveted. Would that be brilliant, wouldn't it? Oh, it was unbelievable. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I couldn't do anything. I was just glued to it. So when Um, you say that... Brideshead Revisited was your first audio book. That's not possibly
1: strictly true.
0: Well, I only heard one hour of Michael Caine on right. the radio reading a bit of his. And you're like, so well, I've it was like you, I had Caine. I had foreplay with Michael Caine, but I've gone all the way with Brideshead Revisited. So uh, I. <laughs> so... So, I um I thought, okay, I should just give it a stab, but I, I'm a bit of a sort of, I've got some issues with it because I feel a bit like, is it really, people say, oh, I'm reading such and such a book. Well, you're not really, are you? You're listening to it. It's a different experience. So, I thought... Alright, I'll do it. It's I think it's a different experience, but I want to do it and see what it's what's what it's like. So I asked a friend who listens to a lot of audiobooks, what would you recommend? And she said, um, to kill a mockingbird that's read I think by Sissy Spacek or Brideshead Revisited, read by Jeremy Irons. And so I chose to Oh,
1: okay. Well you didn't say that Irons was involved. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so I chose to do Brideshead Revisited. And When it's, I have to say, from the get-go, I am just blown away by Jeremy Irons' reading. Oh, my God. It is phenomenal. And what has happened is exactly what I suspected would happen, which is I get distracted and don't pay attention. And I've... Sort of lost the thread, and then I think, oh God, what's happened in the past? And I don't know how long I haven't been listening, so I'm not sure what's going on. And then you try and
1: rewind to a bit where you were still paying attention. And then then I'm like, oh, I sort of
0: heard this, and I just, I don't know. So that's exactly what I feared would happen with me in audiobooks. And then what's kept me listening is 100% purely the quality of Jeremy Irons' storytelling, which is phenomenal. But then now it's moved to the point where I use it as a sleep aid. (laughs) Because I like going to sleep to the sound of Jeremy Irons <laughs> speaking to me.
1: Sorry. <laughs> it's so it's funny, really nice. Because, like, I've known you for, a, like, a long time and I sometimes I just think I've heard everything about you that, like... <laughs> and then sometimes I think, no, there's more. <laughs> and that's a bit
0: more. Because I was wondering if I might – because I've never read Brideshead Revisited, so I was wondering if I would be better to pick a book that I've read. Like, I thought maybe I might go to 1984 because I thought – it feels like it's relevant to these times and I thought maybe it's read by somebody – like, surely 1984 is read by somebody amazing.
1: Well, maybe. I don't know. There might be a few versions. See, I think what we're quickly learning is the secret is you just get any old bilge and get, like, Pamela Rabe or Marta Dusseldorp to read yeah. it and that would be fine. <laughs> Right? Exactly. That's exactly what, what I mean. What you could, could possibly t- go wrong? Well, as long as you've got this mellifluous voice exactly. coming at you from under your pillow, <laughs> it doesn't really matter whether you're paying attention or whether you're keeping track as well. As someone as- who
0: has a mellifluous voice coming to them from under their pillow, I highly endorse it. It's yeah, I know. Great. Now
1: I'm just going to add that on to that podcast that you mentioned. His name What I've are already you forgotten. reading? What am I. Ah, oh. So I just finished um, Judith Brett's new book. Which is about the history of uh, Australia's electoral processes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I hear you laugh. Tell
0: me more. I know.
1: So Judith Brett, his most recent book is actually a really great biography of one of Australia's most famous and interesting prime ministers, Alfred Deakin. Um, who was, of course, a, um, uh, a spiritualist and a man who, while he was in office, all the three times that he was in office, used to write a weekly column about Australian politics for um, a London newspaper. He used to write it and send it off um, anonymously <laughs> and it was published. <laughs> and sometimes he'd be like ripping the piss out of his own government. I just, I love that. Anyway... Uh moving on. Um her new book is called From Compulsory Voting to Democracy Sausage. Now I understand that if you're going to pitch to you, let's say your teenager, this is a really interesting book about the history of compulsory voting in Australia. You know, uh, your kid and pretty much anyone else is just gonna say, Well, that sounds tedious. It is not, it is a really fascinating book. And it's I just... There was a surprise on every page. It's still not clear to me what it's about. (laughs) It's about how Australia got compulsory voting because, like, you know, we're all um, used now to turning up to vote and everybody has to vote and you get a fine if you don't. But we are only one of 19 countries in the world that have compulsory voting and, in fact, we're only one of nine that enforces that by means of fines. So, like, we are really... Really unusual. And the story of how that came to pass is absolutely fascinating and it's very, very, very unique to Australia. Now, we all know that um, Australia, um, we gave women the vote in 1894 in South Australia and that was like a absolutely world leading uh, development. She's got a great story in there about how that happened and I, you know, had, I'm from South Australia so I'm like, oh yeah, suck at everybody else (laughs) but what I didn't realise was that the vote which happened late at night in the South Australian legislature, this is pre-federation so we're all running around being crazy colonies and stuff um, there was like a real pitched battle because the conservatives did not want to give um, women the vote and this, these sort of women's lib types and, you know, ringing wet uh, individuals wanted to pursue it. So um, the proposition was to give women the vote and at the last minute the conservatives hammered on an amendment to the legislation because they knew they were about to lose so they were just doing this whole like, oh, God, how can we upset this apple cart? OK, we put an amendment on saying, well... If we're going to give women the right to vote, why don't we give them the right to stand for public office as well? Hey, <laughs> that'll blow it out of the water, and everybody voted for it. So that's how South Australia not only gave women the vote, but also the right to stand for office, which was a, a, a highly unplanned outcome at the time. So this book's full of all these like amazing stories like that that just made me think far out, like. History can be a bit accidental sometimes, can't it?
0: It's no lending your CDs to Moby. Oh, though, is come it? on! <laughs> Seriously,
1: though, it's a really. Oh, you're so unkind. I tell you what. The other thing that um, that really grabbed me about this book too, because I mean, we also um, like to talk about um, women nationally in Australia getting the uh, right to vote in. Uh, a piece of legislation that went through um, post-federation in 1902 in fact and um, I always knew that the right to vote for indigenous women was delayed by a shameful for uh, six further decades um, but what I didn't realise um, was that the mechanics of that vote in 1902 actively disenfranchised indigenous people, not so even Indigenous men that had the vote before then lost it as a result of that oh, vote. I didn't realise yeah, that, that, but they had it and then lost it. Wow. Well, I mean, it was, it was incredibly restricted because it was, um, uh, if you just happen to own land through the Crown system, you know. But I hadn't realised the, um, the mechanical way that that legislation actively stripped um, Indigenous people who had the vote. Um, of uh, of the votes, and so she um, includes a couple of um, a couple of pa- passages from the Hansard at the time that are just absolutely appalling. And so I I don't know. It's always worth reading more about your history, but that piece of legislation that I'd always sort of thought was a source of pride, which it is in some ways, is also this source of like historical shame, which. Um, I mean, history is never one way or the other, right? Anyway, it is a great, great book. So you can all just sod off and talk (laughs) about your... You're gonna have your Moby back. What are you? What have you been
0: reading? Um, I have not been reading a lot, actually, because That's like, Jeremy Irons <laughs> is just mumbling at you from <laughs> under your pillow. Yes. Um, I did watch a doco that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's about Kevin Aquan, the makeup artist. Don't you just love this? Like, what have you been reading lately? Oh,
1: not much actually. Oh, good show, everybody. <laughs> everybody listens to this podcast for
0: sales, not reading anything at the moment. No, I, I, I have read a couple of things, but I more want to talk about things I've it's watched. totally fine. I'm just yanking your chain. <laughs> um, Kevin Aquan was... Um, you know when the era, the real era of the supermodel, which was sort of around nineteen ninety when it was Cindy Crawford that sort of, I'm not getting Naomi, out of bed for less than exactly. ten thousand dollars. Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, Claudia Schiffer, Linda Evangelista, Christy Turlington, um that crew. Um the sort of absolute you know, makeup artist du jour was this guy Kevin Aquan, and he had, you know, if, if you mention his name to any makeup artist of, you know, sort of 35 and older, they'll just be like, he was. I had all of his books, you know, blah blah blah. He was an amazing makeup artist, and so he did a lot of um, absolutely famous covers and, and um, you know, things like that. Anyway, this documentary is about. He was sort of a real, you know, celebrity, almost on the level of, you know, how say like Annie Leibovitz and people like that become the sort of celebrity photographer. He was that on makeup. Um, and this doco is about his life and where he came from, and he grew up in this sort of very poor southern neighbourhood. He was gay, he was relentlessly bullied at school, Um, and he had been uh, given up as a baby by his mother and adopted by a family, and... He'd always found it hard to fit in. He was uncomfortable in his own skin and relentlessly bullied, so made to feel like, you know, you should be uncomfortable about yourself. Um, And so this uh, made such an impact on him throughout his whole life. And so even though he's then achieved this incredible level of success in New York, he's still been very troubled by his past. And so he goes back um, to find his birth mother um, which doesn't go well because they're bigots and they're anti-homosexual um, so unfortunately it sort of reinforces his feeling of rejection by his mother um, and he he's he died many years ago, so it's a sort of you know retrospective documentary. But it's really amazing looking. Um, it, it's very sad, and it's very it just is a reminder of how important it is for chil- with children for them to not have these kind of things happen to them because it's so impactful on them in later life. Um, and. Just looking at his work, also like the sort of all of the models talk about how the way he would make people up was basically almost erasing their face and then bringing it back um, and making sort of like making it a blank and then making it like a blank canvas and then bringing it forwards. And so it is quite amazing because you look at everyone that he's making up; they're often very beautiful women. But then there's other women as well. Um, There's a bit where he does um, Tina Turner. He does Barbara Streisand tons of different people and he really does have this incredible knack of making everyone look like the best possible version of themselves but more than that he has another skill which great makeup artists I find have which is he makes you feel good about yourself Um, and so everyone wanted him as their makeup artist because he made them feel like they really were beautiful and he made them feel like you, you are a beautiful looking person but you're beautiful looking because you're a beautiful person inside and I'm just making that reflect on your face so people really loved working with him but over time he became um more and more self-destructive and then by the end he wasn't working much at all in fact there was a close to his death he wasn't booked for the oscars which was a just for someone of his stature was a devastating blow anyway it's a very interesting documentary because i know you like i've got you now addicted to sort of fashion documentaries i know yeah
1: i watched the vivian westwood one recently actually which um where's that Where, where did you watch that um, I watched it on an airline but it was, um, I assume that it's now available wherever you um, legitimately get films from because <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's out of the cinemas right. so, so it's and probably I saw on it on something. an aircraft and I had meant to go and see it in the pictures just because I, <laughs> I'd i read that this film had been made with her corporation and that she was now widely denouncing it which sounds oh. like a very... Okay. Vivian Westwood thing to do and in fact like the most fascinating parts of this film and um, she's interviewed um, extensively and like you know she's lived so many lifetimes basically she's this incredible um, designer who was sort of um, kind of resisted by the British fashion establishment for a long time. You know, she was a a single mother and a punk and then she hooked up with Malcolm McLaren and um, opened a shop that was just selling records and (laughs) rubberware. And then she kind of became this um, kind of extraordinary figure in British fashion. Um, But they, like, went... They took ages to ever make her fashion designer of the year because she was just so awkward and difficult and she's completely awkward and difficult throughout this whole film in fact half the time she's being interviewed and she's just like squirming around the chair she's like i don't want to talk about this it's boring it's boring it's just boring how old is she she'd be in her i guess late 60s early 70s i heard in the audience i'm like 60s late 70s early 70s i'd say i don't know she's kind of um anybody know for sure about right, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, she's just like, she's kind of this ultimate iconoclast, really, and uh, just a relentless reinventor, which I also like about her, as well as the fact that her tailoring is amazing. Hey, I, I should... have one dress made by Vivian Westwood, which oh, I bought I... on sale on this, you it know, website looks once. Amazing on it's you. It's made out of silver plastic. It is an amazing product. it's just rock. awesome, yeah.
0: Um, hey, I should have asked you before, I just realised when you raised the audio version of Harry Potter, hmm. you went to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child.
1: I did go and see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and I took my daughter to see it, which has cemented my Mother of the Year award for, I don't know, I don't know, the next 10 years, I guess, and... Um, My daughter is a massive, massive Harry Potter fan. So, like, she's got trivia, she's got um, a Gryffindor T-shirt, she's got... um, she writes short stories, you know, she's been absolutely soaked in that series. And when I said, do you want to come and see this show, she was in a state of excitement that really you can't... I couldn't really describe it. Anyway... um, I thought, oh, I mean, it's a stage play. It's not a book that's been adapted. And it is the story of the children of Hermione Granger and Harry Potter and the creepy chap from Slytherin. Um, and <laughs> and they're all going back to Hogwarts and they develop all their own um, new relationships. And I, I thought there's a bit of jump the shark about it, sounds a bit Fonzie in the spin-off series, it's a bit journey and Journey loves Chachi, it's risky. Uh, and I. it's also like a really long show, it's sort of two and a half hours and then a break and then another two and a half hours if you're seeing it as a matinee and evening show. Um, anyway, I thought I will sit through this because my daughter is a massive fan. Oh my God, it is really an unbelievable experience. And your it's
0: attention didn't wane
1: in the... Never for one wow, second. fantastic. So um, it is one of these productions that is, well it's it's on stage at the moment in, in London and it's here um, in Melbourne with an Australian cast and um, an actress that I really admire Paula Arundel is playing Hermione Granger and for mine she's the star of the show she's unbelievable um, and the thing that carries you through this performance is just that it is so well produced and it incorporates kind of conjuring and special effects and great acting and great choreography and they have poured a stupid amount of money into it as well. So, like, all of the whiz-bang effects are there but in a sense it's just, like, this extraordinary um production and choreography, and you walk into the theatre and they've got, like, Harry Potter carpet and um, wow. stained glass windows with the Potter
0: crest. There is such a thing. And given um, that it's in the two parts, um, yeah. what age child do you reckon would be suited to take? Um, I
1: would not take – I would I would have taken my nine-year-old. In fact, he's super cross that he didn't get to come, so that's an ongoing issue. But I wouldn't have taken my six-year-old, I don't think, because there's some scary bits. Like, it's, you right. know, there's – As you would know if you've ever watched any of the Harry Potter movies, like some of them are quite, you know, that Voldemort who shall be not named, although I just did, is a legitimately scary
0: dude and so, yeah... That's... I um I took my five year old and seven year old to Charlie in the chocolate factory. In Much Sydney, more appropriate, probably which was fantastic. But the five year old, I thought in hindsight he's not quite ready to he's only just turned five, not quite ready to go and see things. I mean I'm just so eager to take him to a theatre. But um
1: he <laughs> come to um, Best Little
0: Whorehouse come... in Texas with me, kid. <laughs> <laughs> come to the cherry orchard. You'll love it. Oh um, my God. He... You know, with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it takes a while to get to what the kids consider the fun bit because you have to set up the Charlie Bucket backstory where oh, it's yeah, a bit the, grey, right? The,
1: the dirgy bit where they're all sharing a yeah. bed. You want to get to the factory yeah. where they,
0: you know, swim in the chocolate river. And so James was grousing and being really annoying, then fell asleep, woke up in <laughs> interval, um, and then in the second half, which is – so the, the first half ends with when they're about to go into the factory and the second half is all in the factory. And um, he got a bit scared at things – I mean, it's it's very, very, well done and they are very creative with how they do certain things but he got scared in the bit where um i forget if it's it's veruca salt um who the squirrels you know mistake her head for a nut i know and they love those squirrels the squirrels, the squirrels don't lie do they <laughs> The squirrels terror from limb to limb yeah. and how they do it is um, oh god are you about to give away the secret
1: <laughs> of how a child is dismembered <laughs> on stage by squirrels <laughs>
0: Do you is. notice I
1: didn't reveal much about the secrets of Harry Potter. Um,
0: I, I guess the title for this episode, if it goes up, should Just be Spoiler Alert. Yes. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> Alert. Um, the squirrels are adults dressed in um, squirrel costumes. Wow! And really?
1: D- <laughs> I ain't never heard of such a thing before. It's <laughs>
0: unnatural. In London, they used actual squirrels. <laughs> 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 they, um In the way it's choreographed, they sort of form a circle around Veruca Salt, who somehow disappears and obviously they've got a mannequin that's been severed into parts and then the squirrels break apart and they've each got a limb. A mannequin and that's been sawn just, into James parts. James was like – and the other one that he found really freaky was – Violet Beauregard when she gets turned into the blueberry, and after chewing the gum, and what they do for her again, it's it's really funny and very clever. So she's clearly got a sort of inflatable thing under a costume. So she inflates a bit, then she sort of runs off stage, and then what comes back on is clearly a gigantic sort of beach ball or something that they've dressed in the same clothes, and they just have a bit of hair sticking out Not on top. Much gets by this one.
1: Australia's <laughs> premier current affairs journalist. <laughs>
0: then she goes off stage or the ball goes off stage again and the father runs after her and then you hear a loud sort of pop and then he comes on and he's covered in blue goo and so James was like you know like how did they make that girl explode and so he was he took it all quite literally so I had to say no no it wasn't actually you know they didn't really explode her blah 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 so yeah I sort of thought oh yeah a bit too small
1: and were you loudly and irritatingly whispering this to him in the middle <laughs> you know, of the
0: theatre? he saved it for the end, luckily. He was just cuddling me pretty tight. But the seven-year-old was massively into it. He absolutely loved it. And it's, I found it very hilarious and really inventive how they did all of that stuff. Hey, there's only um, there's two other things that I really want to talk about.
1: Can I interrupt you first to say one of thing? Of course. Because we, if we run out of time, we can't run out of time for this. Um, yeah. Because I... Oh, but we
0: can run out of time for
1: my two important things, apparently. <laughs> wow. You're about to look like a real jerk when I say what I want to say, uh, which is, as you know, as we wander around this country responding to people whining about how we've not been to their place yet, <laughs> we do like to locate a charitable organisation in every destination to, uh, to contribute to uh, percentage of sales of tickets and tonight we are all contributing to the Hobart Women's Shelter. Um, <laughs> can I go on?
0: Please
1: do. <laughs> look, I know that for very few people in this room, the Hobart Women's Shelter is going to need a lot of explaining, but um, as we had a look around to um, into who we might like to support in this local area, it became. I asked around and that was the response that I very commonly got. So we have a few representatives scattered around the audience tonight from the Hobart Women's Shelter and I would like, I think we would both like, if sales can spare another couple of seconds, uh, to thank all of you for the work that you do and to thank all of you more broadly for contributing tonight to their excellent work. Yes, thank you. <laughs> As opposed to the Hobart animatronic squirrel group, which we're not... <laughs> uh, we're not yeah. supporting. We're just like giving them some currency.
0: <laughs> um, two things I wanted to give a quick review of um, which are both on Netflix. One is Ricky Gervais' new show called Afterlife.
1: Right. It's controversial, right? Um, I, I know that because I read a headline saying controversial and then <laughs> um, I haven't looked into it.
0: It's. It reminds me of um, Please Like Me in that it's sort of quite a small show in its scope but it's very human um, and it made me think a bit about Sorry to keep raising my own book because I sound like a just ego driven monster, but it it is similar content because it's about trauma and grief and loss. Um, Still on sale. <laughs> Out the front
1: actually. Is it also about your uterus, or is that just like it is? Yeah, yeah it is. it's just like Ricky Gervais' episode. Also right in this the sweet wave, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, The premise is Ricky Gervais is a very recent or about six months widowed um, and he's just finding it extremely difficult to cope Um, and so it's a very sad show but it's also very funny and I think I mean, I think Ricky Gervais straddles that line like nobody else. The, I mean, I found The Office the same. Like, the line between the comedy and the tragedy was just so um, sharp and acute and at any moment you could be sort of taken on either side of it. Um, and so this show I found a lot like that. I had to stop myself from – there's only six episodes – I had to stop myself from binging all of it. It's, I think, incredibly well written. Why would you written. stop yourself? Because I just, you know, have like a life and things to do. <laughs> It was past 9pm, okay? I had to go to bed. Uh, so that, I really highly recommend that. It, it is sad. Like, you'll, you'll cry buckets. Um, the other one uh, I started watching is called Sex Education, which had been recommended to me. Oh, great. Okay. It's really good. Um... You know, I watched about three episodes of it. The premise of it is it's sort of, I guess, a teenage coming-of-age drama, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, it's a teenage boy who lives with his single mother. She is a sex therapist. Um, and he and his friend at school start giving um, sex therapy to their colleagues to earn a bit of money. Um, and it's sort of all about their lives. I watched about... This could go either way, really, as yeah. a premise. <laughs> I watched about f- two or three episodes and I thought... Oh, uh, you know, yeah. The, the mother is um, Gillian Anderson, who is Dana Scully in X-Files. Okay. Um, and I thought, yeah, I'm not sure. And then I found all the time I kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about the characters. And what I've realised, now I'm eight episodes in and I'm really now thoroughly enjoying it, um, it's one of those shows where you, it makes you care about the characters really quickly and you become quite sort of invested. They're all quite, they're great, diverse characters um, and it's just very well done and I'm loving it.
1: I love how you just say, oh, I've watched two or three episodes just to test it out. Like, how do you find the time to watch all this stuff? Because, like... In bed at night. Mm. Yeah. Do you still have Jeremy Irons under the pillow at the same time? At a certain point, Jeremy (laughs) says,
0: come on, darling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait around all night. (laughs) Stop flirting with this sex education (laughs) and come back to bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Leave that ghastly Idris alone and come back to bed. Oh, right. it's been marvellous to
1: hear a little bit more about your private life. <laughs> now, I, do we have like 30 seconds left? We do. You can, you, so, can, you can take us out. No, I do have an idea and that is, so this show sold out uh, some time ago and then – Um, I think there have been a few people that got tickets at the last minute because they were restricted view seats. So, like, Jeremy said, well, apparently there's a few seats that are restricted view that haven't been sold. But, like, for God's sake, let's sell them at a knockdown rate so that people can come. But then I thought, well, I don't know how restricted the restricted view is. That I think if anyone's been dealing with a restricted view tonight, then we should get sales to do something ridiculous on a particular part of the stage... That addresses your restricted view, right? So let's get that Moby song that you love so much up, and then sales will dance to it. Because this is part of her fantasy. She loves to perform and dance on stage. So, do we have enough audio of that Moby thing to give us 30 seconds of dancing Ooh, in stupid parts? No, Where is the yeah. restricted yeah. view? You know she wants it! Start over there Where the Then
0: guy, over there in the restricted view, people? Wave if you're restricted Oh yeah, back there Dance there Do you there. know what this is actually, I reckon, a good tempo for? What? The Highland Fling It is You're the one who's trying I'm trained. not sure about these heels though but You know she was going. a Highland
1: Fling dancer when she was a little kid Okay, here we go Alright
0: Alright I think everyone could see my fling. But would you like to see Annabelle Crab do it? <ocolust sixth song> Oh. <laughs> Absolutely
1: not, because I didn't train for years to do that shit when I was a kid. Can I? That is, nobody had that idea before. Just now, so that is. A, she literally did spring a that. A tribute him. to this woman's absurdity in the face <laughs> of social challenge. I give you my friendly sales.
0: Thank and you so Adele much, <laughs>
1: Oh, my God.
0: More you can head to chat10looks3.com where you'll find information about everything we've discussed in this episode. Click on the link bedside table to purchase books we've discussed. If you scroll down the homepage, you can also sign up for our newsletter which has heaps of interesting extra things to read, watch or listen to. And sometimes the website even has merchandise to buy and information about live shows around Australia. You can follow chat10looks3 on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening.